The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. with an episode from the Lawfare Archive for November 12, 2022. Earlier this month, Senator Ron Wyden released a report and review by the Department of Homeland Security and the Department's Office of Intelligence and Analysis. The report, originally released in April of 2021, has now been released with revised redactions revealing new information about the Department's activities in Portland and its surveillance of journalists. The report also provided some new details about DHS intelligence reporting on Lawfare's editor-in-chief, Benjamin Wittes, which he detailed this week in a piece on Lawfare. To provide some context, I picked an episode from September 2020. In the episode, Bobby Chesney sat down with Jay Johnson, the former Secretary of Homeland Security, and Texas Congressman Chip Roy to discuss the Portland protests, domestic violence, and the lack of civil discourse in society. I'm Bobby Chesney, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, September 23rd, 2020. I sat down with former Secretary of Homeland Security Jay Johnson and Texas Congressman Chip Roy as part of the 2020 Texas Tribune Festival. We discussed Portland, DHS, domestic violence. We even got into the shortage of civil discourse in our society. It's the Lawfare Podcast, September 23rd. Portland, DHS, and the rule of law. Secretary Johnson, the Department of Homeland Security became a significant part of the Portland story in a few ways recently. One of those ways was the deployment of DHS personnel with law enforcement authority. We'll talk in a second, perhaps, about the particular ways they performed that role, but for the moment, let's just focus on the very idea that DH personnel would have such a role, would be used in such a time and place. Was this within the normal bounds of Homeland Security's authority and mission? If not, should we be concerned? Bobby, uh, good to see you again. And it's nice to be back at the Texas Tribune Festival. I have to say this, uh, long before I was a cabinet official, long before I was general counsel of DOD or the Air Force, or even before I was an assistant U.S. attorney, I was a student of Professor Ruth Bader Ginsburg at Columbia Law School. And like everyone else, uh, I mourn her loss. She taught me civil procedure when I was a first year law student. So DHS, Portland, there's a question of authorities and a question of whether 
it is good policy to deploy DHS personnel to a place like Portland. The core mission of the Department of Homeland Security, insofar as the interior is concerned, I mean, DHS, of course, is responsible for security of the nation at the borders, land, sea, cyberspace, aviation security. In the interior, uh, we are responsible for the protection of federal buildings, federal installations through the Federal Protective Service. And there's statutory authority expressly for that is given to the Secretary of Homeland Security. Once you branch out into public safety generally, I would say that the authority becomes a little more complicated. It is not per se illegal for law enforcement officials from DHS or the Department of Justice to engage in public safety generally, but it is, it is unusual. It is highly unusual if, for example, law enforcement were engaging in systematic violations of civil rights, uh, that would be problematic. But deploying them to the streets of a city like Portland is not per se legal, but it is certainly questionable. Now, as a policy matter, I have to say that I find it unusual for the DHS secretary to deploy DHS personnel to a place for reasons of public safety without a request from the mayor or the governor, uh, which are typically principally responsible for public safety in a community like Portland or, or, or Austin, Texas, or, or any place else. And so that's where I think the controversy lies. And I, I'm not in a position to judge public safety at the moment in Portland, uh, but I, I would be concerned, and I was concerned, and I am concerned that deploying large, large levels of DHS personnel to a place like Portland could make things actually more worse and provocative, unnecessarily provocative, rather than restoring public safety. Thank you, Jay. And thanks, too, for that remembrance of Justice Ginsburg uh, in her capacity as a professor. Congressman Roy, I, I want to turn our attention to a, a different aspect, related but different aspect of the situation in Portland. With the nightly street protests, clearly, obviously, a substantial amount of protected core First Amendment assembly and expressive activity. At times, unfortunately, there's also been violence. What's your view on the extent to which this is this is organized violence as opposed to haphazard? And in light of that answer, what's the right way to respond to this, both for the local authorities, state authorities, and federal authorities? Well, it's good to be on this with you, Bobby. It's good to be on here with uh, Secretary Johnson, Atuma, former, uh, in my case, Special Assistant United States Attorney, and uh, did not take civil procedure from uh, Justice Ginsburg, but obviously we celebrate her life today and, and what she meant. And, uh, and I hope the next few days we'll have a lot more celebration of her life than the speculation about what's going forward. But I might be living in a fantasy land on that. You know, look, you ask an important question about the violence that we see on the streets. You know, it's obviously been some pretty horrifying, some of the things that we've seen. And, you know, a lot of people have asked the question about, you know, who's behind it? Is there anything organizing it? How much of it is organic? Uh, and a lot of that actually has to do with, you know, our response to it. Obviously, I'm a, a strong federalist at heart and in practice. Um, it is not my want to have the federal government come, you know, come into Texas or go into Oregon or anywhere else for that matter, for the most part. And I think we ought to be very uh, skeptical about the use of federal authority to do so. Obviously, there's a place at times uh, when you've got, you know, the Insurrection Act exists for a reason. There are times at which the federal government needs to make sure that 
federal laws are being enforced. Uh, the secretary mentioned civil rights. There's, you know, when you're talking about federal resources, federal courthouse, federal offices, and making sure that they're being protected if there's violence or threats to life, you know, burning down buildings and so forth. We we have to take those threats seriously as a federal government, and obviously, preferably in conjunction with state authorities. We should all be on the same page for wanting to keep the streets safe. Uh, and I hope, with all due respect to the mayor of Portland and the governor of Oregon and other uh, state officials, that they'll be working more in concert with the federal government to figure out how to keep streets safe. Do we have evidence that there's coordinated activity, uh, funding going on? I mean, look, if you listen to a lot of the mayors, you listen to a lot of the local officials, they'll tell you that they see coordinated activity. They'll tell you that they see some outside influences helping to stoke some of these flames. That doesn't mean that some of it isn't organic and that you got to figure that out. I mean, that's boots on the ground, intel, embedded people, getting you know information, trying to figure out how to handle it. But importantly, I sent a letter to um, uh, the attorney general uh, requesting that we figure out, along with my friend Ken Buck, figure out where the sources of funding are coming from. I think we need to know that to a greater extent. But there's no question there's been coordinated activity. I think the, the, the real issue is trying to figure out how to focus on that while also dealing with some of the organic activity as well. But uh, I think we should all be united uh, on making sure we keep our streets safe. And the federal, state, and local authorities typically, historically, all work together towards that end. And that's what we ought to be striving toward. I mean, I was a special assistant uh, U.S. attorney under Project Safe Neighborhoods, which, as the secretary knows, is a program that is inherently state and uh, uh, federal uh, mixed together in order to go uh, deal with uh, gun violence, gang violence, et cetera, under Project Safe Neighborhoods. I think we should all be working together to do this. Thank you. Secretary Johnson, back to you. Let's turn to some of those particular tactical things that uh, became controversial once DHS personnel were on the ground in Portland. Uh, were there any specific tactics or actions that you've learned about that raised concerns in your mind? For example, there was reporting about personnel in various ways, perhaps declining to identify themselves, law enforcement officials, uh, use of unmarked vehicles to effectu help effectuate arrests far from the scene of the courthouse. Any comments on those types of concerns? Well, first of all, it's difficult to assess from where I sit as a private citizen watching, uh, as everyone else does, the images on TV or what I'm able to read in the news with all due respect to our media, they don't always project the most accurate picture versus if I were still in office getting daily intel from people on the ground who report directly to me. I will say this, as a general matter, my view while I was in office is that we need to stick to our core missions. When it comes to the Department of Homeland Security, that is the protection of the American people land, sea, and air, and in cyberspace on the one-yard line. And when we venture out into other missions that are not central to what we do, not central to our training, uh, we risk wandering down a very, very controversial hole. And that, that threatens to undermine our credibility in the places where it matters most. I do not have a good explanation for why federal law enforcement officers would remove their name badges, their tags, their credentials. I've seen that done in special operations. I've seen that done in detention facilities. I have not seen that done domestically on the streets of our, our cities. And so I've, I've yet to hear an adequate explanation for that. Congressman Roy, any thoughts on the same subject? 
Yeah, no, look, I mean, I don't know that there's a huge gap here between the secretary and me and my view on this. Uh, my main point that I would agree with completely is, as a, as a former prosecutor, as someone who's worked in the attorney general's office, I hate commenting on things I don't know all the facts to. And, you know, when I'm used to prosecuting cases, you look at the entire record before you, you decide what to take before a grand jury, you decide how to proceed, you listen to law enforcement, you go look at the defendants and you figure out what to do. Here we prosecute stuff by Twitter. And this is, I mean, you want to know why a lot of the violence and the, you know, the sort of, you know, rhetoric that gets heated, it's in part because of that, right? Where we prosecute cases and we decide how we're going to make public policy by 288 characters on Twitter or, you know, statements on Facebook. So let's take the idea of like the insignias. I don't know the facts. I've seen some pictures that show that these were unmarked uniforms. I've seen some that show the markings on the uniforms that people didn't see. You know, I know that we've got a number of police departments that go around the country that use unmarked vehicles to conduct operations every day. And the secretary would know and agree with that, right? We, we do that sometimes. There are reasons for it at times. Um, and here's an important deal. And I'm going to read this one because it, when the state of Oregon was forced to put the um, actual facts into a legal filing, uh, this is the best they could do. From the United States District Court for the District of Oregon, Portland Division. The state of Oregon has presented just one example of an arrest without probable cause and one example of an unreasonable seizure. That is the sum total of the evidence. It appears the state has largely backed away from any argument that the federal agents were not at all identifiable as law enforcement. That's one data point. There might be other cases. My point is there's a lot of hyperbole. There's a lot of noise that goes around this stuff. And I just, I hope we can get back to adjudicating these things in court where they're supposed to be adjudicated. I have to add this. Let's not overlook the underlying reason why there have been so many demonstrations and protests across this country and across the world over the last several months. And that is the repeated instances of excessive force by our nation's law enforcement. Uh, the overwhelming majority, and I'm sure Congressman Roy would agree with this, the overwhelming majority of demonstrations, marches in this country in reaction to George Floyd have been peaceful. I have participated in marches here in Montclair, New Jersey. That makes me a protester. So we're into this discussion about Portland, but that's not overlooked the larger issue of how we got to where we are and what needs to be done to address the grievance that Black Lives Matter. Bobby, if I might take 30 seconds, because we're sure. generally agreeing, but I, but I do want to say, you know, when we talk about the agree, agree, overwhelming, and it's a it's the American way that the, the overwhelming majority have been peaceful. Uh, I've seen a stat, and I think you've probably seen it, Mr. Secretary, of 93%. That still leaves 7%. And I've seen studies and numbers, and I read a report just yesterday that said upwards of 550 different um, gatherings that were violent, that resulted in uh, looting and and burning and destroying property and killing people and endangering lives. Uh, so I think we got to be careful about painting with a broad brushstroke about the nature of what we've seen. So yeah, 93% could be peaceful and those are great the ones you participated in, but those 7% have caused a lot of damage, uh, you know, a billion dollars worth of damage according to at least one insurance estimate. We saw what's happened in Kenosha. We saw what happened in Minnesota, Portland, et cetera. Uh, and we, we need to be very cautious with that and make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're keeping the streets safe. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This exchange has highlighted that this question of violence in America, political or otherwise, is broader than just what happens in 7% of protest context. Um, we have the critical context of the concerns about excessive use of force by police, but we also have other contexts of violence currently that are that are looming around us. And it raises an interesting question about whether we're living through a time in which various forms of domestic political violence is indeed significantly on the rise. I'm a I'm a professor and scholar that focuses at times on the history of terrorism. There are there are many waves of this in our history. I worry greatly that we're amidst such a moment right now. I'd appreciate if both of you, if I could invite you to reflect on what you see in that broader picture. Do we indeed have a growing problem of domestic political violence? You, if we call it terrorism, if we call it something else, that's not the important thing. Just do we have a growing problem? And what is going on that's giving rise to that, if so? Congressman Roy, let me ask you to weigh in, and then Secretary Johnson. Sure, of course. And, and I'm, I'm quite confident that Secretary I will agree on this in broad terms. And then, of course, we got to get to the root causes, and, and then what do we do about it? Yeah, there's clearly some heightened violence going on. Um, but, you know, there's been periods of that throughout our country, right? I mean, we have, in fact, had a civil war. Um, you know, 1968 was a pretty notorious time of civil unrest. Uh, and for a lot of um, understandable reasons in terms of what happened in April of 68 and then again in the summer. And and those those are important parts of our history and trying to understand that. I would also remind people that, you know, we don't have the Secretary of Treasury and the Vice President dueling on the streets right now. I mean, so it has been a part of our history that, that we've got conflict and disagreement. Uh, but what we don't want to do is have lawlessness. What we don't want to do is break away from the rule of law. What we don't do is encourage and incite violence on our streets and then result in the damage that I was discussing earlier that I don't really need to repeat too much, but it's very real, right? These are real lives. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, let's talk about the 45% of Black-owned businesses that have been now shut down as a direct response of both the virus and the pandemic, which is affecting us all, as well as some of the implications of what we've been dealing with with the civil unrest. Let's talk about the 43 police officers, law enforcement officers, I should say more broadly, that have been killed in the line of duty just this year. Uh, 65 that have been shot uh, in total. Some of those were lives lost. Uh, Secretary Johnson, let me invite you to, to pick up the thread of the conversation because I know there will be a lot you guys agree about. Do you agree that we do have, to at least to some extent, a growing problem of domestic political violence? And if so, what causal factors do you see in that mix? So the answer to your question is yes. There is a rising tide of political violence. Uh, there is a rising tide of, frankly, individuals armed and dangerous who feel emboldened to exercise their their political 
preferences in, in, a, in a violent way. Uh, my concern is that our leadership should be condemning those who feel that violence is the means to express their political preferences. Uh, we're at a point now where you know, 17 year olds uh, cross state lines with assault weapons to protect property and, and lives end up being lost. And uh, our leaders need to calm the situation down, tell people to stay home. Of course, we encourage peaceful demonstrations, peaceful exercises of the First Amendment. But uh, I am worried that too many people feel that the way to express themselves is through violence with a gun. Congressman Roy, you've, your technical connection is restored. You're back with us. Thank you. And uh, yeah. let me Where did pass I leave the contract to you. Uh, we lost yeah. you maybe about a minute ago. Okay. Well, what I was going to get at, I don't want to repeat too much in case I did, and I'm sorry for losing the signal, is that uh, you know we've lost 43 law enforcement officers in the line of duty this year. Uh, 65 have been shot. We've had many, uh, we've had the instances where the two LA deputies were shot point blank in their car just this last weekend. And, and we saw the reaction by some going to the hospital and saying, we hope they die. I mean, you know, that that's that's really troubling, right? And and um, I think we can all agree to that. And look, I agree with the secretary that we uh, we need leaders of both parties to stand up and make sure that we're, we're decrying the violence on the streets, you know? But but for example, I mean, it's, it's a two-way street. You know, uh, Joe Biden tweeted, does anyone believe there'll be less violence in America if Donald Trump is reelected? NPR, uh, in defense of looting, Pelosi, people will do what they do and calling Republicans and domestic enemies. Uh, and I could go down a list, Cory Booker, get up in the faces of some Congress people. I mean, th that, those were partisan attacks. There's Republicans that have done similar things. We, look, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that we're keeping our streets safe. Law and order matters. The rule of law matters. And we need to keep our communities and our streets safe. We don't need to be encouraging looting or damaging or any of that sort of thing. And then let's focus in where there's problems. There's 70 million interactions between law enforcement and civilians in a given year. If you narrow that down by studies to the number of uh, you know, forcible detentions and then narrow that down to the ones who are injured, you're getting down to something like 14 or 15,000 around the country. Some of those are very bad and wrong. Let's address those case by case. Let's go root it out together, Democrat and Republican, and go seek those out. But let's not try to take down the entire system uh, and undermine the rule of law. And Secretary Johnson, any further response to that? Well, the congressman read an excerpt from something Joe Biden said. He didn't read all the instances where uh, Vice President Biden condemned the violence. And I'd like to hear our sitting president do the same thing. I have not heard him condemn those who pick up an assault weapon and go into a boiling situation and lives end up being lost. And so I, I wish we had a national leadership that could take down the temperature rather than ratchet it up. It, it seems to me, frankly, that his whole campaign, and I don't want to get too political here, but it seems, frankly, to me that his whole campaign seems to be built on a strategy of increasing anxiety and increasing panic uh, across our cities and across our country. And I'd like to see us get back to a place where our president, our national leaders, believe they are president of all the people, not just red states, not just blue states, and help us, help local law enforcement, which we've talked a lot about here, help, help local law enforcement tamp down the temperature and restore the peace. Let me 
quickly with our dwindling, dwindling time, ask a few briefer questions. First, Secretary Johnson, Homeland Security has often been described as, as too sprawling, too disparate in its many uh, component missions. Have we come to a time when we need to look at DHS and through the lens of significant organizational reform? Should it be broken up? Should it be redirected, narrowed? Anything you would call for? Well, here's where I think Congressman Roy and I might actually agree. You need, you need all those functions someplace. You need aviation security. You need border security. You need port security. You need cybersecurity. In my judgment, having sat in the chair, better to have all those different functions reside within one cabinet level department where there's a secretary with security as his or her core mission versus scattering all those different functions across multiple agencies and departments of our government some of whom don't have security as their core mission. Is it a big department? Yes. Are there ways in which the bureaucracy can improve? Uh, yes, I spent a lot of time on that myself when I was in office for 37 months. But in my judgment, it is still better than not to have all those different security agencies within one, under one roof at one cabinet level agency. Congressman Roy, any views on DHS and its future? Well, I certainly think, and, and I do would concur with the Secretary that I agree that it is great to be able to have the, the, the mission of DHS be able to be carried out with um, all of the assets that the Secretary mentioned together and figuring out how to coordinate those the best in order to protect the homeland. And look, you know, let's go back to when it was created, you know, a couple of years after 9-11 in 2003, I think, or 02 maybe even. I can't remember how fast they got that done, but it was quick. And, um, you know, it was in response and we wanted to make sure we we're protecting the homeland. And, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, it's 240,000 people. Uh, you know, that's uh, the same size as, you know, Apple and Google combined. Uh, you know, I think we can think that I'm not saying that I know, you know, I'm saying we're to reduce or shrink, but we should always be mindful of bureaucracy. I mean, I, you know how many times in a Republican administration that I'm seeking answers to questions and it's difficult to get. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you got to push hard and so forth. Um, and that was true in the Democrat administration, too, because it's just it's a bureaucracy. And so I do think we ought to find ways to make it more efficient and, you know, make it a uh, maybe slightly more effective. And there might be a couple of pieces of it that, you know, we took some stuff out of DOJ and we took, you know, the Coast Guard out, you know, and put it in DHS. There might be some ways you might want to rethink it. I mean, 20 years later, after 9-11, maybe we can take a look fresh and have some hearings and decide if it's as effective as it should be. But in general, it's good to be there, you know, coordinating. So I have a closing question for both of you. We live in an age of opportunistic sound bites, uh, blind team-like loyalty to political parties. Indeed, during the pandemic, when sports had gone away, it was really clear we've, in our politics, sort of transmuted it all into sports with team loyalty, sort of sometimes seemingly without reference to what the teams are doing. Yet you two, you both have really well-earned reputations for independent thinking and clearly having principles and adhering to your principles. You don't, you don't match that model of just blind team loyalty, whatever the team says goes. I'd like to ask for your thoughts from both of you on the importance of sticking to principle and having principle over party sometimes the importance of that in our politics and in our society, and if, if you agree that we seem to lack that and could use more of it. Secretary Johnson, let me ask you first. 
Regrettably, we are living in an increasingly polarized political environment. I think a lot of that has to do with, frankly, how Americans get their news, how Americans get their information. You know, one of the, the advantage of this thing is you can hold the entire world in your hand. The disadvantages are there are far too many places to go for Americans to get information that simply do no more than reaffirm our own biases, our own suspicions, our own prejudices, without truly informing Americans. Uh, how many places are there where you can go to hear somebody like Congressman Roy and I debate the issues of the day versus somebody just screaming at you, reaffirming what you are already inclined to believe? And so we live in an increasingly polarized environment, and our elected officials are reacting accordingly. Many of them reside in, in safe congressional districts, and their principal concern is being primaried from the extreme right or the extreme left. And that does not serve our politics well. And I regret that politics is becoming the ends and not the means. Politics is an instrument for getting stuff done, for public officials doing what they were elected to do. I fear that politics is becoming the ends and far too many of our elected officials, people in Washington are, are serving the public's and taking care of the public's business. Thank you, sir. Congressman Roy. A lot easier to say sitting here in Montclair, New Jersey, now that I'm yeah. out of office, I know. Well, <laughs> the, sec the, sec the secretary's a gentleman. He used exactly half the time that was remaining, and I appreciate it. Uh, look, right now, I think, and I'd agree to some degree, the, um, I, but I'll, let me differ on one thing. I do think politics needs to help lead, and, and those of us in, 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 in positions of leadership need to step up. And I've been calling for the House chamber to actually do our job. Now, and this is a, a nonpartisan criticism. We haven't had a vote on an open amendment on the floor of the House since May of 16. That's Republican leadership and Democratic leadership in the House. If you want to fix the place, we need regular order. We need to do, as the secretary just said, let's have debate. Look, what are we afraid of? Right. I mean, I, I'm not afraid of losing an election or winning an election. Right. I mean, if, if everything we do is about keeping power instead of saying, look, let's throw ideas out there. Let's put a bill on the floor of the House. Let's debate it. Let's vote on it. Let's have a real discussion. Let's offer amendments. And then let the votes fall where they may. I mean, what are people afraid of? I'll stand by my votes and then let the people of Central Texas decide. But I think the future is going to be much brighter if we can agree to disagree, have robust debates, and then step back, vote, and then let the, let the American people uh, decide where they want to take the country going forward. De-escalate the temperature. And the last thing I'll say is we just need to make government a little less consequential in our lives so that everybody's not hanging on the bated breath because they a justice passed away and now everybody's foaming at the mouth. Let's let's just focus on protecting the people and giving them the ability to live their lives. Congressman Roy, Secretary Johnson, I appreciate both of you so much for both the service you've you've given and have can and are continuing to give and the way you've lived to your principles. I think it's a great model. And I appreciate all you listeners for tuning into this discussion and thank you for being part of both the Lawfare Podcast and Tribune Fest 2020. Take care. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you both. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Please share the Lawfare Podcast. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. But don't stop there. Go to thelawfarestore.com. That's thelawfarestore.com for brand new Lawfare pins, lanyards, T-shirts, 
even socks. The podcast is edited by Jen Patyahau. Your audio engineer was Zachary Frank of Goat Rodeo. Our music is performed as always by Sophia Yan. And as always, thank you for listening. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.